Hello, I'm Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson, episode 118, coming to you guys live from Biola University. You guys should cheer or something, so people... I should have told you beforehand that I wanted you to do that so that people believed that yeah, we were... that wasn't very smooth. That we weren't, that we weren't just adding reverb onto the uh, garage they might, band They file. might think it's just me. Oh, man, that'd be... You know, uh, theater of the mind. So, uh, no real announcements today because uh, we... I should say our episode's usually long-ish because we can be very verbose, but we only have a certain amount of time today, so we're going to need to jump right in to... Uh, James Gunn's Guardians of the Galaxy, which came out this year during the summer. Right there. there. Okay, show of hands. Oh, you know what? Maybe applause. Let's go applause. Audio. Um, How many people saw Guardians of the Galaxy? I'd say from the applause, that's about 45. Yeah, that sounds good. That's my my guess. Um, So, yeah, uh, one of the reasons that that I picked that film is because I knew that people were likely to have seen it. Uh, it was a surprise box office hit. To be honest, I thought... I, I was mildly concerned that it would not gain any traction because they're, they're not heroes that anybody knows about. I thought people would be really incredulous about, you know, Talking Raccoon and all that sort of thing. Uh, but I was excited because I'm a big fan of James Gunn, who, had, who wrote the remake of Dawn of the Dead, uh, and then he made a movie called Slither. It's a horror film. I don't know how many people have seen that. And then he directed uh, a film called Super, which I'm a big fan of. Okay. We, that's we, the one I've seen. Yes. That's one. Seen we did an episode about that as well. And so, uh, and he, he tends to have a very uh, sort of an, off, uh, an off-kilter sense of humor. And so when Marvel announced that he was going to be directing this, I was very excited. Um, and, uh, but I also thought, like, well... We'll see how it goes. This might be a, a financial misfire for Marvel, and that is not the case. I believe it is the second highest grossing movie of the year behind Transformers 4. <laughs> so, how, uh, do you know how it stacks up with other Marvel movies in terms of the box office? I, th- I think it is... It's, I mean, it's in the top tier. I mean, it's right there with, uh, with Avengers, Avengers. But, I, but I don't know exactly. Um, mm-hmm. But I will say, so... Uh, so we're going to jump into the film proper, the actual uh, uh, discussion of the film, at least from an artistic standpoint, and then we'll jump into the thematic uh, discussion a little bit later. So, uh, like I said, I was excited about it because I'm excited about James Gunn as a director. Um, I mostly liked it, and, and there are things that I loved about it, but uh, I did not like it as much as I wanted to for reasons that I will talk about in a moment. I want to start positive. Um, first things first, I thought its use of ensemble was very solid. Everybody had a lot of chemistry. It really felt like a team coming together and uh, not in an artificial way. And so uh, just the way... And each character was very distinct and had their own voice. Uh, they weren't just, okay, this guy's a raccoon, but he acts a lot like the tree, and he acts a lot like this cocky guy. They, they all basically are the same, but they look different. That is the thing that can sometimes happen in these types of films. But, uh, but, yeah, every character was their own person, but they also added to the larger whole, which I like. Uh, it's, there's this term that comes about the idea of something being more than the sum of its parts. And the team is more than the sum of its parts, which is really saying something because the parts are very notable and very exciting. Um, another thing that I really liked, uh, we'll stick with character for a moment. Another thing that I really liked was the Peter Quill character, 
when you have a character like that played by Chris Pratt, there's probably a great deal of temptation to have him be oafish and incompetent um, and overconfident and that sort of thing. They make him overconfident, but they also make him actually very capable of the things he can do. And that is, it's, everybody has, in my experience, everybody who loves film, they have little things that just kind of like hit them the right way. And when I see somebody really good at their job in a movie or TV show, I, I get very excited about it. And I can't even put my finger on why. Um, but yeah, to see him actually good at what he does is exciting because he's still overconfident. He's still very brash. He's still very immature, but he's, he's good at what he does, which makes him... Uh, first off, it, gives, it allows his character an arc, um, but then also, uh, you know, it's, we need to believe that he's capable of the things that he, that he is doing. And if you go too far in any direction, you, you either make him way too incompetent or, or too flat, I think. And I think they, they rode that line very well. I think a great deal of credit is due to Chris Pratt for that. So... Um, so I'll, uh, I think I think I'll throw I'll throw to you at this point, Josh. I've got more stuff to say about character and stuff, but I'll throw to you uh, as far as expectation because uh, I'll uh, I'll lead with you tend not to be a big fan of uh, superhero movies. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, are we trying to go positive for now? Start with the positives yes. and we'll move into yes. well, okay. So um, I, I have no like connection to comic books and and that whole world, so. When a lot of the new ones come out and everybody gets excited about, oh, now they're going to do... What's the new one that they announced that everybody's excited about? Captain something, who I think is a woman. Oh, Captain Marvel. That's the one. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what that is, but everybody was thrilled about it. So I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm a little bit outside of that world sometimes. So some people who were excited about this one because they knew the property, uh, that wasn't me. And also, my only, my only knowledge of James Gunn was Super, which I enjoyed, but that's just one movie. So uh, I didn't have much of an expectation coming into this. Uh, sorry. As it's being released, I didn't have much of an expectation. Once it was out, everybody loved it. So that, I think, kind of hurt it a little bit for me. Because I probably saw it after everybody else in this room. I saw it like two weeks ago in like a <laughs> late-run theater for $5 or something. Um, so, uh, But people had talked so positively about it. And I think that hurt it a little bit for me. Yeah. Uh, I, I, Not, did a, I did a YouTube review of it. And I led with like I did here, I led with, I didn't love it. Hmm. And then in the YouTube comments, somebody said, didn't love it, I'm out. <laughs> I was like, okay, because there's, there's a lot surrounding this film. People yeah. really love it, and if you don't, they seem perplexed. People have been comparing it to Star Wars and stuff, which I feel like is a big, I, I mean... You, yeah, you're a big, Josh is a big Star Wars fan. I'm a huge um, Star Wars nerd. And I grew up with Star Wars, and I really have an affection for Star Wars. I don't love it as much as he did, but even then... It's no Star Wars. I mean, come on. Yeah. Come on. But uh, I will say, as far as positives, it, it definitely... I think what James Gunn is doing right and what the... I, I, something I will give the Marvel movies in general is I think they, for the most part, and I haven't seen all of them, but uh, they tend to, to know how to make a fun movie. They know how to, to keep it like the pacing works. A lot of the, a lot of the like, set piece fights are pretty, are pretty well put together and they know, they know what they're doing there. Um, so it definitely keeps that energy up. It was definitely fun. Like I, I would, it's definitely a movie that I came away from saying that was a fun time with the movies. I enjoyed myself. It wasn't like I walked out and was like that. 
piece of garbage. Yeah, that speaks to uh, the, the thing that I was going to really focus on as far as the positives, which was its tone. Uh, and this is, this is true of most of the Marvel films, but this one especially, um, it let its tone be uh, set by the nature of the characters. They are misfits, they are goofy, they are unusual, and so the film sort of let its emotional tone be set by them rather than just decide, oh, okay, uh, let's be silly because we know that nobody's going to take us seriously. Uh, there might be some of that as well, but, and I think that's something that the Marvel Universe has, I agree, I think it's done it fairly right. Uh, as much as I enjoy the, you know, the Christopher Nolan Batman films, there's such a sense of not merely seriousness but self-seriousness that um, after a while I just think, like, this is really good. It's really uh, cinematically dazzling and all that. But yeah. after a while, it's just uh, I feel like, you know, you, I need a break. Which uh, a question to address about that, which, which I don't know, again, because I haven't read a lot of the comic books. But since you've read more than I have, mm-hmm. it, my idea, my sense of the comic book world is that a lot of it is very self-serious. And maybe that's more the case with older stuff and in, in kind of revolutions in comic books. Maybe it's changed a lot. But mm-hmm. for something like Guardians of the Galaxy, for instance, is that one that feels very kind of goofy and misfitty. I'm, I'm largely unfamiliar with the property as well. I know that it, went, it underwent... Uh, the, the title, Guardians of the Galaxy, has been around a very long time, but I know that this incarnation of the team is fairly new, okay. uh, or newish, like in the, in the last 10 years. Does anybody know specifically when this came about? Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like, based on the Wikipedia entry, uh, I feel like <laughs> it's, it's fairly new. No, I... I the stuff that I grew up, I grew up reading X-Men, a little bit of Batman, and that was kind of it. Um, and, and, and are those ones what I'm talking about, that they're very serious? You know, they could be. X-Men especially could be very serious because it was always standing for something else, mm-hmm. uh, and the movies themselves have, have followed suit. But uh, I can't picture Batman, like, joking either. But sometimes they could. It, it, that's the thing. It doesn't even necessarily have to be joking. Like, that's, that's a very tangible thing. And this speaks to this larger idea of tone that, like, t- like, tone is, I don't know, it's, it's the thing, again, I can't quite put my finger on, but it's a sense of fun that there are still stakes, we still care, people can still do horrible things, but it seems, I don't know, it's, it seems antithetical, it seems counterintuitive that you can have a sense of fun and still care emotionally, and, like, you know, when a character dies, and I won't... For those that haven't seen it, I won't spoil it, but there's a character who has a death scene in Guardians of the Galaxy, and it's very very touching. In spite of the fact that the film is fun and goofy and all of these things, um, it still manages to uh, sort of get its hooks into you. So, so yeah, it's a film that I think really emotionally feels right. It's a good time, but you also feel like you've been engaged. Hmm. And I was going to say, too, uh, I I think I enjoyed... I think I enjoyed the performances for the most part. Mm-hmm. For some reason, I feel like I like Bradley Cooper more than I should, like, just in general. I, I feel like every time I see him do something, I'm like, I really like that, and I don't know if I should. A couple of years ago, he really tried to rebrand himself as, as a legit actor, and yeah. I think that's been successful. I mean, you and I both really liked Silver Linings Playbook. I thought he was great in that movie. Um, I thought he was very good in, you know, uh, The Hangover. Um, I only saw the first and then, one. But that's, that's how people saw him for a long time. That's and then right. he, was like the, on, he was kind of the straight guy who was yeah. like not quite as interesting as the other two yeah, funny guys. Yeah, but also a total sleaze. Um, yeah. And so, 
But between Silver Linings Playbook and then I thought he was, I think maybe his best work ever has been in American Hustle, yeah, where he plays this too. character with this really manic energy. And he just has a certain swagger to him that I think really worked for the character of Rocket. Yeah, I, I thought so too. But he also has, well, I'll get to that in a moment. Um, yeah, uh, of all the characters that I responded to the most, uh, and other people as well, uh, the character of Drax... Played by non-actor Dave Batista, who I believe is a—he's not a wrestler, a MMA fighter—is that right? Something oh, really? like that. I, I think didn't so. Know that. Yeah, he's a obviously he's a very large guy, and uh, he wanted the part so bad that I mean, he auditioned for it, he really pushed for it, and he's maybe my favorite part of the film. I don't know. It just maybe because his character ties in so much with the the thematics that we'll be talking about in a moment, but yeah, yeah. But I find a lot of humor coming from him. The I was fact su- that he takes was, things seriously. Yeah, and, I was surprised that that was a funny character. I expected yeah. that to be a character who's just like the tough guy. Yeah. He's kind of that stock character, but the fact that they put this weird flaw in him that like he's just off that much that yeah. he doesn't understand. He takes everything literally. And you know, it's interesting. <laughs> Were this directed by a different person or maybe if this character was in a different series or something like that, uh, they might have given Drax the darkness that the character ha- legitimately mm. has, and they would not have made him a funny character. They would have just made him sullen and morose and all that, and he wouldn't have been fun at all. But, um, mm. And the fact that the character takes himself so seriously becomes mm-hmm. something that is funny. But it yeah. also, again, this speaks not merely to the pre- uh, Peter Quill character, but also Drax and a number of the other characters. There's a legitimate arc. They start at one place emotionally and they end at another, and it's mm-hmm. very satisfying. Moving into the negatives. Um, Yeah, uh, speaking of those characters, boy, uh, let's see. Just want to make sure. Yeah, her name is Gamora. Boy, she was underdeveloped. Um, And I don't like to say that, but in a male-dominated film, you you need your female characters to be strong. And Zoe Saldana is a very strong actress, but... It, it seems like the filmmakers maybe took the note she has to be physically strong. And they yeah. did that part of it. Yeah, which is a thing that I, I said uh, when I saw the movie Lucy that some people think like, oh, a strong female character, that means she can fight, right? Uh, but no, no, not really. We have it's to... what we say. It's not what we mean when we say strong. Yeah, and the, the thing that... Uh, the way I describe it is, if you were to describe Groot, or Peter, or Drax, or Rocket, describe them, and people talk about their personality. When, you ask, when you're asked to describe Gamora, people talk about her motivation. Well, she's which she green. Dec- she's green. She fights really good. She's like an alien. She's like, yeah, she's like an alien. I mean, come on. Um, but, uh, but also, she's just, she can be boiled down to her motivation. And she tends not to necessarily play the motivation, but because she's not really given much, she just declares it over and over again. And that's not the same. Knowing somebody's not the same as knowing about somebody. Mm-hmm. I feel like we know about her. But we yeah. know Rocket. And we know Groot, and we know Drax. Groot only has one line, well, two technically, uh, said over Spoilers. and over again. And we, yeah, and we know him way more than we know her. Yeah. Well, also, I I hated the way that they put in that exposition. Like, yeah, they're they're walking through. This happens early in the movie, so it's not really a spoiler, I guess. But they're walking through this prison, all of them together, and. She, after she's been trying to kill these other characters, is just like, no, actually, I'm, uh, I'm a traitor. I'm trying to get the, the orb for myself, yeah. or whatever it is. I'm like, why are you... That's you a pretty know big... these people at all. You're just revealing your entire motivation in front of these people that big... you were just trying to kill. And it's a big revelation, yeah. and people just... Everyone else just breezes right over it. Yeah. It's, isn't it done in like a wide shot, too? It's just yeah, like I think so. No, 
Yeah, and it's just, uh, you know, and I wonder if maybe James Gunn just recognized, all right, we got to get this out of the way, so let's do just that. Let's get it yeah. out of the way. And my hope is that, because I know that there's going to be a sequel, um, and I know James Gunn is going to direct it, and my hope is that, um, my hope is that he develops that character more. Um, I mean, there's, there's a bit of a romance between her and Peter that I, develops, and it, it's okay. They have an okay chemistry, but again, I don't know her. Yeah, and it would mean I, I more. I think that's what they'll, they will do in the next one. Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if that's no. if it's a lot about the two of them. Yeah, and the other ones become kind of the other ones will have their own like side adventure or something. Yeah. Um, and then uh, this isn't necessarily a flaw, but uh, I'm a big fan of Benicio del Toro. Uh, po- give him his own movie. I love that character. I love the way he's playing him. He's ridiculous, and I want to see more of him. That's not a flaw. <laughs> that's just a personal preference. Um, Possibly a flaw though is that I feel like they don't do enough with that character. Yeah, he just kind of shows up and then. Yeah, he shows up for color. Yeah, and and you know he'll show up again because he was at the end of uh, you know, you and I saw Thor: The Dark World. Yeah, he popped up at the he end popped of that. up at the end of that. And again, I enjoy his performance. I like the character design. He seems genuinely otherworldly, mm-hmm. uh, and I hope that he plays a much. I thought he was going to play a larger role in this, but he really doesn't. Um, I, yeah, I thought he was going to be the villain or something. Yeah, that would have been nice instead of Lee Pace. And again, and that's not individual. That's not specific to this film. Like they, aside from Loki. Their galactic villains aren't that great because uh, mm. they tend to just state their motivation as well, and then yeah. that's the end. Like this character is really no different than the character in Thor: of The Dark World. But again, that might be kind of consistent with the comic books. Like Marvel tends to develop their villains pretty really? well. Okay. Um, which then, so this leads not me when into, they make movies though. Not when they make <laughs> movies. No, Lo- Loki was good. Uh, that's true. That's true. Uh, I liked the way, the way they dealt with uh, Red Skull. That worked pretty well for me. I don't even remember. What were the villains in the Thor movies? I don't even remember. I saw both of those. Well, Loki was the first one. And then it was oh, uh, Christopher right. Eccleston what was in he? the second film. I remember a big robot. He's, a, he's like a bad... Big robot. No, that's from the first that's one. That's the first one. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, Christopher, Christopher Eccleston, he's, uh, he's like a dark elf. I think that's what it is officially. Let's All not right. get into that. We could... <laughs> um, and then I think maybe my other problem with it, and it's this is just a larger problem. Uh, I feel I'm feeling my age a little bit. I think I'm 32. I'm not 32. I know. Ugh. I'm sorry. I'm not. I'm not the spry 31 year old that you are. But um, but yeah. And so uh, I'm fascinated and kind of exhilarated by what Marvel is doing as far as. Uh, Cinematically, like with the franchise, we've never really seen anything like this before. The idea of uh, separate pieces coming together every once in a while and then separating again. But within each one, uh, there are hints and stuff at, at what the larger thing is going to be. That's kind of exciting to me for the most part. In this film, the story was fun and exciting, and then they would grind it to a halt to deliver franchise stuff. And while I like the character of Thanos, and I think the casting of Josh Brolin as Thanos is kind of brilliant, because you would think you would cast somebody with more, like, majesty, but they cast this guy who brings a real kind of crackling energy to him. So I'm excited to see what they do with that character, but every scene with him, just... I enjoyed it on its own, but I felt like it stopped me from enjoying this film. And I think that's the problem with... That's the problem with what they're doing with the franchise. It, it felt kind of like a speed bump, and especially for somebody like me who does – I don't know what Thanos is. It's just, all of a sudden there's this guy in the sky who we're supposed to, to know something about, and he goes away. He shows up and then goes away again, and I'm like – for me, that could have been cut out of the movie entirely, and the movie's the same movie. It's basically me. the same, yeah. Yeah, my uh, 
my wife and I were uh, driving down to Disneyland last year, uh, last week, pardon me, and uh, I don't know why, but I decided to uh, regale her in the story of the Infinity Gauntlet. You, you're not, still married, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. It did not... Uh, it went fine. She, you know, part of marriage is making, making it seem like you're actually interested in what the other person is saying. And she's a champ at it because I don't say really anything interesting, as I'm sure you guys can attest. Um, uh, okay, so we need five to start time, transitioning... Five-time nomination for uh, Best Religious Band. Absolutely. But we keep being... We keep getting beaten by Mormons and atheists. So... Uh, <laughs> got that base. I don't know. I know. It's... Uh, but before we transition into, uh, pardon me, in the, into the companion film, uh, were there any uh, points that you had, uh, you know, not to dwell too much on the negative, but, you know, that's part of it. Yeah. I, okay. I'll go into this first because this is the, I don't know how much time we're going to have, so this is the main thing I want to talk about is I like the idea behind what Marvel's doing in having uh, several different characters from different universes that can interact so that, so that the characters can show up in other mm-hmm. movies. What I don't like is how they've kind of homogenized the whole world of the Marvel movies. Mm-hmm. And I, I hear people saying things like, well, the, you know, the tone's like goofier in this one or is like more serious in Captain America. And it's like, yes, but the world all looks the same. The, the, even, even though we're on like a million different planets or places like this and all, mm-hmm. in all the movies it takes place in all these different places, they all kind of – they all kind of look the same. They all use very like if you look at the directing, a lot of very similar shots. There's a lot of very like, a lot of kind of set pieces, a lot of things that are all the same. And I feel like I can forgive that more if it's in one director's yeah. uh, work because you know that that director that that's that's because it's that director's vision. Mm-hmm. But this is more. There's this Marvel as a studio is coming from outside and telling each director, I want it to look like this. I want it to do like this. And Forcing directors to all kind of do the same thing. I I don't know how many people know about the whole Ant Man thing with uh, Simon Pegg, like that. Says, Edgar Wright. Oh, yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, that that says so much to me about what Marvel is. Is is they're very strict. They want everything to be a certain way, and that takes so much freedom away from the filmmakers. Yeah, it's uh, anticipating this was going to be the problem that you had. I opted not to start it. Uh, because I had the same problem, and it's just... With the exception of the first Thor film, which is directed by Kenneth Branagh, who has, like, Shakespearean, uh, Shakespearean background, and I feel like it had a... Di- that had a notably different tone, but it also was fairly early. They shaved all those edges off pretty quick. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this film... <clears throat> uh, do people know what I mean when I say it kind of has a shaggy dog quality? Or at least the, the, the story does? The film does not. It has a nice, glossy veneer. And you and I, we went to Comic-Con this year, and we went to a, uh, a panel about oh, yeah, uh, music. movie music. Yeah. And they talked with uh, the composer, whose name I've forgotten. Um, they talked to the composer, and he said he, he thought of it as like a rock opera. Now, of course, we hadn't seen the film yet, and so you and I both perked up like, oh, that's going to be fun. Right. But then someone, one of the other panelists said, oh, a rock opera, so like, it's going to have like guitar and stuff. And he said, no, we actually didn't do any guitar. We just had, you know, like an orchestra. Oh, so oh. like every other score then. And, it, and so it's you're like, com- oh, it's going to be like, so just opera then. Yeah, oh. Without the voices. But yeah, opera without the voices and probably toned down to fifth. Oh, okay. Yeah, like a movie score. Um, <laughs> yeah, and it's, and that's the thing is it's just, I, I agree with you. And while I'm excited by Biola alum, 
Is it Scott Derrickson doing Doctor Strange? Uh, that would be exciting if it were not part of this. They will take whatever fun mysticism will be in Doctor Strange, and it will be different enough to feel different, but it's going to look the same. It's going to feel the same. What's inter- what the, the comparison I've started making is that I never know how you say his last name. Kevin Feige? Feige? I don't know. He's basically the guy running Marvel. The, the Marvel Cinematic Universe is now turning essentially into a TV show with Kevin Feige as the showrunner. There's different directors. They're, they're each uh, certain episodes might have a different feel to them, but they're always going to feel they're always going to be largely the same. And I feel like that's what this is. Um, and I don't think they're ever going to get away from it. I agree no, I don't you. really. And part of the problem, part of the greater problem with that is I think when so many of our blockbusters every year are these. Mm-hmm then we just get into a world where kind of all the movies we're seeing look the same. And I feel like it's even started to, to sneak into other movies. Like I've seen other sci-fi movies mm-hmm. totally disconnected from the Marvel Universe that are, seem to be taking all their cues from that sort of superhero mentality, that, yeah. kind, of t- that kind of world. Yeah. Um, and for me, as somebody who watches a lot of films, I, I want to see something new. Like I want them to come yeah. to me and show me something I haven't seen before. That's one of my favorite movies this year was Under the Skin. I don't know how many people saw that. But that movie looked, looked like nothing I've seen before. It was so cool. Yeah. And so, like, I want to see more stuff like that, not more Marvel movies that are, are kind of the same world. And, I mean, they're going to keep selling these because there's enough people that – there's enough people that just love blockbusters and tentpole movies, and if they're fun, yeah. then you'll go to see them. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, and there's enough people that are interested in the existing properties. For example, all the people excited about Captain Marvel. What was yes. that the one? Yes. Yeah. So – so I think they'll keep going that way. And then I posited to you the other day, I think what they'll do eventually is when they run out of stuff, they just start over again. <laughs> just start repainting yeah. everything. It's like painting the, the Golden painting Gate Bridge. Bridge. <laughs> um, so we do need to uh, start transitioning out. Um, but, uh, and we're going to transition into a film that is notably different than Guardians of the Galaxy. And that is Orson Welles' Touch of Evil. Um, which... Uh, we just found out that you all have to watch that. Yeah. So we were kind of expecting that not many people would have seen this. Yeah. So this isn't like – we didn't plan this with your professors. Yeah, it's just kind of the way it worked out. touch of evil down their throats. Yeah. That was uh, the moment I decided that I was going to do Guardians of the Galaxy. I realized Touch of Evil would be the companion film. Uh, and so I heard some excitement and a couple moans. Uh, for those that moaned, watch it again. You're wrong. So um, – <laughs> I'm sorry. It's fine. Have whatever opinion you want. Um, so, okay. Uh, so, it sounds like we don't need to give a great deal of background. Uh, Touch of Evil is one of my favorite films. I didn't look it up, but it's in my top 20. It's not my top 10, but it's in my top 20. I make a top 100 every few years. And, um, and I, you know, we don't have a great deal of time, so we can't go into it a lot. But this is a film. You know, you talked earlier about filmmakers with a distinct style. Orson Welles, you always know when you're watching one of his films, either his use of sound or the way he, the stuff he packs into a frame. It's just his, his worlds, you just feel like you're being transported into another world that, have, that is basically the one we're living in. Touch of Evil takes place in our reality, um, as opposed to like a, you know, the trial is, is a Kafkaesque universe, and so it's going to be notably different. But, um, and... He's just—he's, I would venture to say, my favorite director uh, of all time. I just—he's done a lot of 
wonderful films, and even his movies that aren't wonderful are still interesting. So for those that maybe are not super familiar with the filmography of Orson Welles, look into it. He's pretty amazing. Moving on. Um, so one of the big things that uh, got me thinking about um, Touch of Evil as the companion film is... One of the things that I liked about Guardians of the Galaxy was the way that it explored the idea of grief and loss. I mean, we, it was, the scene is in the trailers. Uh, Peter Quill saying, we're all losers, um, which is to say we've lost something. He is quick to, to specify that. And it's one of the reasons why the character of Drax is so compelling to me is because he's, I mean, he's lost his wife and daughter, and, I mean, it's, that's horrible. I mean, I can't think of anything... I can't think of anything worse. Um, I know that one of my fears is, one of my greatest fears is my wife passing away. And, you know, it's hats off to you for being back at work. That's pretty astounding. Um, And so the character of Drax, he's so consumed by not, not merely revenge, but also the sense of loss and this feeling of lack of direction. He clearly is somebody who was defined by his family. And of course, family is a wonderful thing. Love is a wonderful thing. But he's defined by that thing to the extent that when it is taken away, who is he? He is somebody just completely driven by revenge. Another possible companion film would have been Memento, but we've already done that as a companion film. So, um, and that is what I, and so there's a character that I absolutely love, played by Orson Welles in Touch of Evil, uh, Captain Hank Quinland. He is a very morally and legally corrupt police captain and his wife had been murdered many years before the movie starts and he was never able to catch the killer and so ever since then he's completely gone to sea there's a an exchange here with him and an old friend of his uh in which uh, also a cop in which the fr- how about this there's two I, of I us have the same idea uh, here we go this is why we're co-hosts wait who am i now uh you, you should, be pete you be hank. i'll be hank yeah I mean, you know. Okay, here we go. <clears throat> You're a killer. Uh, are we doing that? Sure. Okay. All right. You want me to start up? Yeah. All right, now that you're ready. Yeah. You're a killer. Partly, I'm a cop. Yeah, yeah, drunk and crazy as you must have been when you strangled him. I guess you were thinking of your wife, the way she was strangled. I'm always thinking of her, drunk or sober. What else is there to think about except my job, my dirty job? You didn't have to make it dirty. All right. What else is there to think about except my job? So he lost one thing, his wife. So now what, what else does he have? His job. And, when you, and he, he only has his job. What else is there to think about? So suddenly, closing cases is really important. So important, in fact, that he will frame people uh, for just to make sure he's got that clearance rate, to quote The Wire. Um, and so he's a character that is so obsessed or not even obsessed he's defined by his loss and it and that loss dictates his attitude it dictates his behavior it dictates him that's who he is because this thing we've been talking about it actually in the last month on the show a lot the idea of these idols when we take good things make them yeah. ultimate things i was going to say that's something we've talked about a lot on the show is kind yeah. of is defining yourself by something like that whether it be yeah. uh, something like family or whether it be something like a job yeah uh finding your identity in something like that nothing uh, inherently wrong with those things right but if you're finding your identity in that and that goes away 
then you have no identity and you just go, you, you have no direction. And so, um, so we're going to read a, a few things real quick. Um, Luke 9, verses 59 and 60. He said to another man, he in this case is uh, Jesus, uh, he said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, I always found that, uh, when I was younger, I always found that to be fairly uh, callous. Um, But when you look at something like Guardians of the Galaxy or Touch of Evil, it kind of makes sense. Like, let the dead bury their dead. Now, of course, uh, you can't just leave corpses laying around. But uh, this idea of just... you're not dead. You're still around. And that's the thing. The the character of Drax, he winds up, because he's so thirsty for revenge, he winds up endangering the people that now care about him. He's so focused on his past and what he doesn't have that he has failed to see what he has now. And he's not letting the dead bury their dead. Um... I don't know how many of you have read The Great Divorce. It appears that I quote it every week on the show now. <laughs> um, it's one of my favorite books. I think it's amazing. And it's a, film, it's a, it's a book that really speaks to these, this idea of idols. And one of the more heartbreaking moments in the book is this woman who, whose son had died. And she wants to get into heaven to see him. But this angel is saying, uh, well, if you only want to get in to see your son, you're not going to. And so... And she says, oh, but nobody, nobody mourned him more than me. And then the angel says, that was rather a mistake, Pam. In your heart of hearts, you know it was. All that 10 years ritual of grief, keeping his room exactly as he left it, keeping anniversaries, refusing to leave that house, though, refusing to leave that house, though Dick and Muriel were both wretched there. That's, his, uh, that's her husband and daughter. No man ever felt his son's death more than Dick. Not many girls loved their brothers more than Muriel. It wasn't against Michael they revolted. It was against you, against having their whole life dominated by the tyranny of the past. And not really even Michael's past, but your past. It was the wrong way to deal with sorrow. It was Egyptian-like, embalming a dead body. Now, here's another way of looking at it. Rocket says, Ah, boo-hoo, my wife and child are dead. I don't care if it's mean. Everybody's got dead people, but it makes no excuse to letting everybody, everybody else around get killed along the way. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a sad thing, it's a horrible thing, but it's not the only thing. Unless, of course, that's how you define yourself. Mm. In which, and again, like, I'm somebody who, if my wife were to die, I've, I've been married almost 10 years, if my wife were to die, I would feel very much this. Like, this is a, this message is, a, most of the message on the podcast are for me, um, and you can listen if you want, but uh, it's one of those kind of things. So, um, so yeah, I think we'll uh, Revolu- uh, Revelation twenty-one verses three uh, through five. I'll let you go ahead and read right. that. It says, "And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and He will dwell with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new." I will jump immediately into a quote from Guardians of the Galaxy. It's the one that I mentioned before. When I look around, you know what I see? Losers. I mean, like folks who have lost stuff. And we have, man, we have, and, and we have, man, we have, all of us. Homes and our families, normal lives. And you think life takes more than it gives, but not today. Today it's giving us something. It's giving us a chance. 
as horrible as things can be at times, life, and in this case we could say God, it's a Christian university, so let's call it that, um, God is always giving us a chance. You know, let the dead bury their dead, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Um, So I'll go with Psalm 30, verse 5. Sing the praises of the Lord, you his faithful people. Praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Uh, That is a thing that uh, gets to me, to the point that it's getting to me now. It might be because I'm a little sleepy. Um, But this idea, this, this promise that I know things are horrible, or they can get horrible, but they, they will get better. There is a promise that they will get better. Um, maybe even if it's in the next life. I don't, even, I don't necessarily like to put it that way, but that's at the very least, there's that. Um, and there's a, uh, a line by Drax that I feel like we should end on, in which after he has endangered everybody because he's obsessed with, with the past and, and getting his revenge... And they have brought him back into the fold and have, and have forgiven him. He says, I just wanted to tell you how grateful I am that you've accepted me despite my blunders. Now, I mean, obviously, that is a thing that we, can all say, we will all say to God at some point. Um, thank you for ex- accepting me despite my blunders. And one of the biggest blunders that we talk about on the show, as we've mentioned already, is this idea of taking good things, making them ultimate things, you know, it could be friendship, it could be marriage, it could be your job, it could be, by the way, it could be religion, um, which is, sorry, it could be the practice of religion as opposed to the actual faith itself, and saying, this is who I am, and at any point, and I don't mean to be fatalistic or anything, you, you might have a life of peaches and cream, um, which incidentally, I think, is one of the reasons why, they, why Jesus says it'll be harder, uh, it, it's easier to, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter heaven. Because when your life is peaches and cream, you don't see a need for God. But when, thing, when you've lost something, that provides a, a void that only God can fill, and that never goes away. And that is, strange as it may sound, that's what we can learn from Guardians of the Galaxy. We have people who are deeply broken coming together because there's something larger than themselves. Now, in this case, it's friendship. You know, they're not going to say, hey, let's all make up Christian. Um, but wouldn't that be weird? Wouldn't that be a weird note to what play? If that was the last scene. Yeah. They're all in a church. <laughs> they all like, just, they're all on their knees. It's like... Everyone in the theater is looking around. Like, James Gunn just, like, slipped that in at the last minute. And Kevin Feige's like, what? Um, so, um, but yeah. And so, uh, so that's basically what we can learn from these films. We didn't touch on Touch of Evil very much. Uh, it is a wonderful film, and I would suggest people go and see the works of uh, Orson Welles in general. So um, I think that is it. We're going to do a, a, a brief uh, Q&A. Oh, we are not going to do that Q&A because, like I said, we are long-winded. I apologize. <laughs> yes, we're going, to be, we're going to be going to, I believe it's called Common Grounds. And uh, if you would like to – is that what it's called? Is that right? Okay. Uh, and we'll be there. So if you want to continue this conversation, uh, you're welcome to do so. You can find the podcast at morethanonelesson.com. We do a new, a new episode every week. We just finished what we call Halloween Times, which we talk about horror films and movies that are just otherwise macabre and find the uh, biblical truth in that. You can find us on Facebook, and you can follow me on Twitter at More Lessons. You can follow Josh on Twitter. At the Josh Long. At the Josh Long. So that is about it. Thank you all for coming. This is a lot of fun. Thanks.